Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Santa H., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive eater for today. Today is Monday, April 25, 2016. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are on page 56, beginning with the first paragraph, Our Friend Was a Minister's Son. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Naomi B., The Twelve Traditions, Lisa B., and reading the literature today are Carrie P., Helena R., and Chelsea H. The share ID for Sunday, April 24th, our special edition meeting by Lisa H., entitled Hopelessness to Happiness, is 8687, 8687. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Naomi B. to please read the 12 steps, please. Thank you, Santa. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater for today. Um, Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for a knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to service, and I pass. And thank you, Naomi B. I will now ask Lisa B. to read the 12 traditions, please. 
Good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in South Carolina. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the opportunity of service, and I pass. And thank you, Lisa. B, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are on page 56, beginning with the first paragraph, Our Friend Was a Minister's Son. Through four paragraphs ending, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator and comments focus on the fourth paragraph. I will now ask Carrie P. to begin reading, please. Good morning, Santa, and thank you for your service. This is Carrie P., a compulsive overeater recovered. 
Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration. Business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his, in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. One night, when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question, Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of an infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore for the first time. He lived in conscience companionship with his creator. Good morning, everyone. This is Carrie P., a, compulsive, a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. And for me, the constant companionship of my creator, there are just times because this has happened for me. I didn't tumble out of bed. I am definitely a learned variety and studied through working these steps and practicing the, the abstinence. And there are just times where I am just so overwhelmed with gratitude. And, and I cry. I cry all the time because I'm just so overwhelmed when I've accepted, you know, living in the consciousness of my creator, how beautiful that is. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. And thank you, Carrie P. And we are focusing our comments on that last paragraph that was read. Who would like to comment for approximately three minutes? Tina. Melissa C. Tina. Melissa. Monica T. Monica T. Anyone else? Suji. Suji. Anyone else? Vasa O. Thank you. Jenny L. Jenny L. Okay, thank you. I have Tina S., Melissa C., Monica T., Suji, Vasa O, and Jenny L. Good morning, Tina. Good morning, Santa. Thanks for your service. Uh, Tina asked compulsive eater anorexic in Florida. And uh, wow, some great stuff in those paragraphs for sure. And you know, I related to what was just shared. I didn't necessarily stumble out of bed, you know, um, but I had been um, beaten to my knees. You know, I can really relate there. And, you know, and, and I can certainly remember when the presence of God poured over and through me. I get the chills when I talk about that because, you know, 
I had the, the, talked about the bridges that were built were swept away. You know, I had built those bridges, and in that moment, they were swept away. You know, and but you know, and it also talks about that all throughout the book. It doesn't last forever. You know, I, there's some stuff to be done. You know, there's some things that I got to do on a regular basis, not just when I'm beaten to my knees. You know, and a lot of times it takes you know me to try all that I've got till I get there. You know, and um, and you know, I have to get out of the way. You know, and, and I love that it says step from bridge to shore. You know, I, I, you know, I've been hanging, I've been hanging out on the bridge for a long time. You know, and get a little emotional here. You know, and I had, to, I have the opportunity today to be grounded, you know, to be grounded in a power greater than myself. You know, and, and I have to continue to golf, cultivate my relationship with God. You know, it's forever growing. I can't stand still. You know, I, I don't have that luxury. You know, the good news today is. I don't want that luxury. You know, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams today, and, and, and I, I continue to trudge. You know, I walk with purpose, and, and you know, and God just shows me all. And, uh, you know, I don't want to ramble, but this is some really good stuff, and I love it. So with that, I'll, I'll pass, and thanks. And thank you, Tina S. And good morning, Melissa C. Hi. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovers compulsive overeater in New York and um you know the the paragraphs that preceded it and they really talked about calamity and um loss and um you know those are the barriers you know and it, it talks about the barriers being washed away and um you know and I think about what were my barriers it was um you know it was resentment, it was anger, it was grief, it was sadness, it was food, but certainly food, it was extra weight. All of those things kept me um, disconnected and, you know, and I always had a million reasons why there was no God, you know, and um, and then like this, you know, like this man here, um, it did kind of dawn on me, you know, who are you to say there's no God? How is that, how is that working for you as someone? you know, on the line says, and that was really true. Holding on to the barriers um, wasn't doing me any good. And, you know, and so, you know, I love how um, the the presence, you know, is talked about it with love. It's no mistake, you know, because it really, for me, it was a mindset of complete love um, that allowed me to let those barriers be washed away. And so, you know, today I can stay in conscious contact um, with my higher power so long as my mindset is fixed on love and not on anger and resentment and and those barriers. And, you know, I just spent um, the weekend, my mom is up from Florida visiting for the holidays and I've been spending time with siblings, and, you know, we have a lifetime of eggs, you know, and of joy and happiness, and if I choose to focus on the angst, I'm putting those barriers back up, but if I choose to really view my siblings and my family with love, um, I'm inviting my higher power into my life today. I'm living in conscious contact with my higher power, and when I live that way, the food loses its appeal. I don't need to eat the same way to be around my family. You know, I could actually enjoy them. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. 
And thank you, Melissa C. Good morning, Monica T. Good morning, Santa. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So we're at the tail end of We Agnostics, our chapter on We Without Knowledge, and we're reading about our southern friend on page 208. Fritz Mayo was his name. And so he's he's going over what has happened to him. You know, he was dogged by all kinds of 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 calamity in his family and you know we've all had things like that you know we've all got our stories our little wool stories that we have you know and they're and they're real for us and so he ends up in the hospital and he's realizing here you know that what he's been doing hasn't worked for him i had to realize that what didn't what i was doing did not work for me and he's thinking about, you know, this God thing, all, this whole chapter on this God thing, this higher power, that I need a power greater than me. Well, I did finally come to the realization that Monica couldn't do it. My strengths, all my strength didn't do it. All my determination didn't do it. All my willpower didn't do it. All my self-knowledge, and I'll have you know, I think I'm pretty smart. I might not be the smartest one, but I'm, you know, anyway. Who are you to say there is no God? And then he recounts how he tumbled out of bed onto his knees in a few seconds he was overwhelmed he was overpowered he was flooded by the conviction of the presence of god now i would love to say that this has been my experience but no it has not you know i wanted that big bop over the head bright light experience but it has it didn't happen that way it's been it's been an ongoing process little light bulb moments along the way as i started working through the steps and um, you know, but I always like to say, okay, you know, when you're first getting abstinent, when you're first abstinent, that first day, that first night, you hit, your head hits that pillow and you're abstinent. You've made it through a day. Did you do that? Did I do that? No. I like to pause and remember this. No, I did not. A power greater than me was working with me there because I couldn't even get, you know, 30 minutes together. And so I would have to pause and remember that. Yeah, when you look back over your shoulder, Monica, definitely something greater than me has been working here with me, you know. So what did it take? It took willingness, you know, his willingness to embrace something he hadn't done before. It took me being willing to say in step three, to make the decision, yes, I will continue through this process of working the steps. And in doing so, the barriers he had built through were swept away. So in doing the steps, the walls that I had built up, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know and I couldn't see what I couldn't see. And working the steps gave me new lenses so I could see my fears, my resentments, my dishonesty, my selfishness. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. And thank you, Monica T. Good morning, Sue G. Good morning. This is Sue G. from Michigan. I I love the I love how he tumbles out of bed and um, you know and onto his knees. I can relate to mental happenings like that. To me, um, there were many times. Through my, from the teen years up until 
my 60s and I'm in my 70s now that I didn't walk away from God, but I wasn't allowing God to do his work in me. And so I was moving away from him. And then all of a sudden, I would have this awareness. He would give me an awareness of his presence. And when that happened, it'd be like tumbling out of bed. It'd be like all of a sudden, oh, no, I did it. You know, I, it's one of those I did it again. I, you know, I haven't been relying on him. I've been relying on my own, my own power again. And I'd have one of those boop experiences that would pull me along for a while. And I'm just so happy to be in this program and to be in to be a vision for you because with working with a sponsor and really trying to I, I'm not to step eleven yet, I'm step ten, but I've been in the program for so long that I'm aware of step eleven. I just didn't know how to do it. And no one ever told me there was action. And through that daily morning meditation and prayer, I've had more of a awareness of his presence. And so I've had less, you know, I, I haven't had a moving away from him um, now in, in almost a year. And uh, I would walk away for, I, I'd be, you know, away from him for maybe six months to a year to, to three years at times. And my life was not the same. But when I take the time to let him in and keep him in, because he's there, but when I'm, a, when I'm totally aware of him, all of a sudden I realize, you know, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm just not, I'm not following him. He's, I'm asking him to follow me. That um, I have those moments of all of a sudden coming back and that reawareness. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Right, thank you, Sue G. And good morning, Vasa. Oh. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I'm Massachusetts right now. But anyways, uh, thank you, Santa, for your service. And I'm grateful to be here with all of you this morning. And I can relate so much with this few paragraphs. I, will, um, I am or I was the minister's daughter, uh, and I'm still, even though my father's passed on, and um, I, I, you know, I was overdosed with the religion education. It wasn't that we were going, reading the Bible, but how important it was for us to be going to church, and I didn't even understand what they were saying in church, because it was done in a different language. It was done in Russian or Slavic, so I really didn't understand and I also was brought up in a communist country, countries I shared. So we thought in school there's no God. At home we're learning there's God, but I grew up with fearful punishing God. So a lot, a lot of confusion. But anyways, it, you know, when it came to the food, it wasn't working what I was doing. Uh, and, uh, and I just, for me, you know, I did step one and two. I could never go to step three till I did, I did step one and two, and uh, I was just so, so much pain and, you know, and desperation, and somebody just came, you know, a 12-step, a person was in OA, 
and told me about the program. And I really, at that time, was I was ready and I was just willing to do whatever, whatever. I just didn't want to keep on doing myself. It wasn't working. So, um, again, I was ready and I was willing to surrender to God, my higher power, in my bathroom, you know, and I did not know much about the program yet. You know, I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't going to church either at that time. I, I had the gift of desperation at that time. I thought it was a gift of punishment. But anyways, and I was so ready and willing to surrender. And I did feel, you know, I received that connection, the power. It's like plugging the iron and, uh, you know, getting the iron warm, you know, plugging it. And I felt that uh, that shock, you know, the electricity go through my head, from my head to my heart, it was just something I did not expect, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I did what I was told to do, and, you know, what a gift, you know, and uh, I received the, the, the power that I haven't lost it, because I keep connecting with the power for many, many years, and I've never, the, the only reason I kept coming in the program was because of that, because if I did not um, hear about the program, if I did, wasn't 12-step, I would have, you know, if I if it was the educational for me, I probably would have left quickly because uh, I didn't have the patience for that. So God sapped me the, the, from the first night I went to my meeting. Thank you very much for letting me share, and I pass. And thank you, Vasal. And Jenny L., good morning. This is Jenny L., recovered in South Carolina. Good morning, Santa, and good morning, visionaries. I am absolutely amazed at this paragraph. For me, the um, spiritual awakening began in 1964 when I had just finished writing my fourth step, and I decided to write that last thing that I was never going to tell anybody. And at that moment, I felt God on my right shoulder saying, See, Jenny, I've known about this all your life, and it's important for you to know it and admit it. And so God became real and personal for me at that point, and I'm very grateful for that. Unfortunately, after I finished doing the steps and walked in recovery for about five or six months, I had a neighbor who said, it wasn't God that did it because I was giving God the credit. You did that. And I thought, you're right, I did. And I carried that for 50 years. I am now 78 years old instead of 26. I, I tried to do it on my own. I was just reading an OA pamphlet called A Commitment to Abstinence, which doesn't mention anything about being powerless over food. It just tells us ways to control our eating. And I tried that for 50 years and had many relapses. And I am so grateful I started listening to Vision, got a Vision sponsor, have been recovered for over two months, and it is better than the first time around. So I thank you all for I thank you all for the caring and sharing that and the love that I feel on this program, in this in this meeting, and with that I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Jenny L. And we're going to move on to the next paragraph. If you just joined us, we're on page 56. And I will now ask Selena R. to begin reading the last paragraph that begins with, Thus, our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. And read one paragraph only, please. 
This is Helena in southern New Jersey. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later vicissitude has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night, years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. And at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink, even if he would. God had restored his sanity. So as I said, this is Helena, recovered in southern New Jersey. And as someone else had mentioned earlier in the sharing, these wonderful shares that we've had, this is uh, Fitz, uh, who uh, was one of the very first. And his story is our southern friend in the back section of the book with the stories. And I am actually very amused that I was asked to read this paragraph because I love our southern friend. In many ways, this has been the, this story has been the biggest comfort for me. I did come into program with a higher power already, so I thought with a God that my faith, my religion had told me about. And I also had to come to see where that God was so limited, and I had to let go of so many concepts of God that I had. Um, in some of the later literature, we're told that Fitz became uh, a Christian and was the one that very much pushed for this to be a religious program. And yet in his story, he does not mention that at all. And he does not even name the God of his understanding, which I very much appreciate. In the back of the book, he says, when he calls his wife after he's had this wonderful experience, it says, my wife hears my voice and she knows I have found the answer to life. And that is what I was looking for, the answer to life. I didn't know I was looking for a broader and better and uh, concept of my God, someone that could actually take away the compulsion to eat, that could actually get me through life without even wanting to eat. I didn't know that. What I wanted was the answer to life. And I really would recommend that all of us on the line who haven't read it yet read Our Southern Friend, especially page 216 and 217. And I just want to read a little section from that which I identify with, and then I want to get off the line again. Um, this is after he has found the answer to life. He's home again. And he says, things are not going so well at home. I can certainly identify with that. I am learning I cannot have my own way as I used to. I blame my wife and children. Anger possesses me, anger such as I have never felt before. I will not stand for it. I pack my bag and I leave. I stay with some understanding friends. Next paragraph, I see where I've been wrong. In some respects, I don't feel angry anymore. I return home and say I am sorry for my wrong. I'm quiet again but I have not yet seen that I should do some constructive acts of love without expecting any return. I shall learn this after some more explosions. I really, really love this man. I love this story. I love this big book. This shows me that even after we find the answer to life, there are so many vicissitudes ahead and that we have to constantly be growing and constantly be humble. Pass. And thank you, Helena R. And who else would like to comment on this paragraph for approximately three minutes? Chrissy? 
Good morning, Chrissy. This is Rochelle in Maryland. I'd like to comment. Rochelle. Larry. Larry. Anyone else? Okay. Good morning, Chrissy M. Hi, Sam. Chrissy M. Recovering compulsive reader and an anorexic from New Jersey. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. Yeah, the answers to life, I mean, that's, that's what I thought I was looking for in food. I thought I found it, you know, because it seemed to be a panacea for all my emotions, all my troubles. I would just, instead of focusing on the various things in my life, I'd have a single focus, my single It was my problem and it was my answer every day, how to control it. And, and I didn't have to think about any. That doesn't work. And we all know. And and for me, I focus on the steps, my higher power, that that is the answer. That Those are the answers to everything. Those are, That's the key to life for me. And it's not easy. Like the, the reader um, was saying, there are things ahead. You know, there are growth opportunities. And for me as an addict to grow in emotional maturity, I need to realize that it's not about feeling good. You know, that was a really big lesson for me because I thought that if I wasn't feeling good, I was doing it wrong. You know, and it's not always about, it's about feeling and facing and being in reality and in that sharing in the humanity with other people, you know, not trying to steal myself against the bad things that happen but to um, share them with my higher power and with the people around me and then get, get that, real, that, that real comfort and that, that real support instead of the false support that used to come from food for me. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you, Chrissy M. And good morning, Rochelle. Good morning. This is Rochelle in Maryland, and uh, what I'm struck by was what happened to our friend was he had been being struck with humility, and how very, very important humility is to this program, because um, we can't even get beyond step one if we don't recognize that our lives are unmanageable, if our ego is in the way, and we believe that we're doing just fine, there's no way we're going to get it. The same thing with step two. You know, we have to recognize that there is a power greater than ourselves who can restore us to sanity. And unless we have humility, how can there be anything other than our own omnipotence? So I am struck with uh, just how important humility is as a bedrock of working this program in a successful manner. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Rochelle. And good morning, Larry Kay. Good morning, Santa. Good morning. Sorry about that. I was unmuting here. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, yeah, I like what Rochelle had to say about that because that's what struck me as well um, is this notion, this Southern gentleman, he, uh, it wasn't, uh, someone didn't teach him how to drink in moderation or, you know, give me the, you know, give me the magic wave the magic wand so I can put the alcohol down. What this process 
taught him is, is, is the very same thing that it taught me, although <laughs> perhaps I was more stubborn than he, I don't know, but which was humility. It was this process where I could go through and be brought into alignment with my higher power. How was that? Well, I had to do some work. I, I, had, to, I had to honestly face my, my character flaws and the, the, the thinking and the behaviors that continued to create problems in my life. And, um, you know, and through that process comes um, humility, not humiliation. Um, I wasn't humiliated, although there was a lot of shame involved. But once I was able to shine a light, this process allowed me to recognize that I'm an imperfect human being. And I was able to shine a light on these character flaws and recognize also that I wasn't the only one. I wasn't terminally unique in that way. You know, and, and uh, as I began to, to examine some of these things and realize that some of the relationships, the broken relationships, you know, the, the lying you know, the, um, wow, just so many, all these, these human things that we do that we're so ashamed. My goodness, if you guys knew, what would you think of me? And today, you know, how, how amazing it is to me. I mean, still, it's just amazing to me. It's not just that I put the food down. That was done for me. I'm, I'm grateful for that. It's that I can, I can face any one of you and I can look you in the eye and I could say, yeah, I, I, I did that, or I, I remember what it was like to do that. I really made a mess of it. But you know what? I'm not making a mess of it like I used to. And I'm still an imperfect human being, but I can continue on this process. And um, I'll never be perfect, but I continue on this process. And, yes, I was brought into alignment with my higher power. I'm so grateful for this program. It saved my life. But that will pass. Thanks. And thank you, Larry Kay. And who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Sharon H. in Colorado. Are we on that paragraph that starts this man recounts as he tumbled out of bed? Are we on the last paragraph, the next one? Okay. Uh, thanks, Santa. Uh, this is Sharon H. in Colorado a recovered compulsive overeater by God's grace. I apologize. I just got on the line a few minutes ago. <clears throat> but what I was seeing there was um, <clears throat> kind of sharing what Larry shared, um, this experience that we have in this program. It is by God's grace that we receive this humility. And, um, and before, I lived in bondage. I lived in bondage to my own self-will run riot. I was going to do it my way. I wanted, you know, I wanted it my way. And um, that's what self is to me, is I want it my way. And I am just so grateful for this program. And there was a group of us that got together yesterday that live here in Colorado who all listened to this OA Vision for You meeting line. And it was such a blessing to be able to meet some more people that are right here in Colorado. And, and um, so I'm just so grateful today to know that we do have this cornerstone and it is fixed in place. And um, God restores us to sanity. 
And I am, you know, I've been in this program many years. Um, 1981 was when I began, so it's been a long road for me before <clears throat> that light of God's grace shone into my thick head when in July of 2012 I listened to this meeting and they were in the doctor's opinion. And I, I, you know, I didn't even realize that that was my issue, that I did not believe to the core of my being, that I did have this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body when it came to the food. I knew that regarding alcohol, but I just couldn't equate it with the food. And so I am just so grateful to be a part of this um, morning meeting. I'm so grateful to all of you that provide service and so grateful to those out on the line. Keep coming back. It truly does work. I've seen it. And I've seen it in others too. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Santa. And thank you, Sharon H. And who else like to comment? Reva P. And Janice M. Leah M. Reva P. Janice M, and I heard Leah, and who else? Chelsea H. Chelsea H. And who else? Nessa R. Nessa R. Okay. Okay, I have Reva P., Janice M., Leah, Chelsea H., and Nessa R. Good morning, Reva. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. For me, as others have shared, um, I do not relate to having a sudden white light uh, spiritual experience. It was definitely slower and gradual as I uh, worked through the steps. But what struck me in this paragraph is um, I think the story is being written to motivate me, to show me um, what I am striving for, give me some kind of... um, vision or ideal to strive for. Um, And I love how it says, um, like if I have any doubts that this is going to work, if I have any doubts about proceeding with the rest of the steps, he repeats it so many times in one paragraph. It was fixed in place. It was taken away. It disappeared. It never returned. And this man was restored. So I can't uh, second guess um, the program, which I love how Bill knows how I think. Um, but you know, when I read the Southern Friends story, I realize it wasn't so magical and it wasn't like he had this white light and then was forevermore, you know, in this uh, magical place. He was plagued with anger and fear and had to continue and to continue and to continue working the steps so that he could continually be restored to sanity. And that is me. Um, I get upset, I get angry, and then I get blocked and I create barriers between myself and that uh, power um, that keeps me abstinent and keeps me sane and keeps my relationships healthy. Um, And I need to continue to do the work to continue to be restored to sanity. So, um, but when I do, it's like a click, and then nothing can shake it. It's fixed in place. It just goes. It just, I always use the word, like it always just goes like poof, because I didn't do it. I just do the footwork, and then it happens to me as a result of working the steps. But I got to continue every single day, um, because I do get in the way. With that, I pass. And thank you, Reva P. And good morning, Janice M. 
And good morning to you, Santa. Janice M., please um, time me, Santa. Um, I'd appreciate that. Yes, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Um, yeah, we, you know, this is a story of um, a certain man, but we have to remember where we are here. We're in step two. So, you know, this doesn't happen in step two. But what does happen, what happens before he gets recovered and goes through the process is that he is convinced now, he's, he came to a conclusion that he cannot do this by himself anymore. I don't care about his genetics, his environment. He was a minister. You'd think that would, that would have a, a, you know, a, an imprint on him. But no, he had to be convinced. He had to come to this conclusion that he could not do this anymore. He could not solve his alcoholic problem. So that, that's the miracle because he's now willing to believe. He's willing to believe there's a power greater than himself. Because like him, I came in here with pain, depression, hopelessness. But I had to give up. I mean, if I still thought that I could do it, then I, would, you know, I, I wouldn't have the willingness to believe. So, you know, he found a new companion, um, which means he found a new relationship. The only relationship I had in this world was with food. I mean, and that was temporary. That didn't work for me. How did that work for you, Janice? Well, it didn't. So he's willing to believe, you know, exhausted or not. And that's the cornerstone. That's the need for a power to build, see, Bill writes like a, he's an architect, he's a builder. He's building this arch that I and you can walk through a free woman and man of this obsession, of this insanity that I have with food. So the cornerstone is those two, two stones that, the, that holds up a building, that holds up an arch, and that's the solution. That's the solution to creating a wonderful arch so that I will be free. I will be able to think differently. I will be able to act differently. And the problem, it says, has been taken away. That doesn't, it didn't say I took it away, you know, when I went through the steps. It's taken away for me by a higher power. And, uh, boy, something that, that really is wonderful to look forward to. Um, did I have good times when I was eating and doing things? Yeah, but it didn't last. It, it brought me pain. So this is going to be different. This is where it all starts at the cornerstone, the need for a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Janice. You have 12 minutes remaining. Good morning, Leah M. Thank you so much, Santa. Well, we are, you know, coming to the, the closing here of We Agnostics, uh, Chapter 4. And, you know, that statement, his alcoholic problem was taken away. Uh, this is one person's testimony, and obviously his, you know, his spiritual experience was sudden. Uh, that's not typical for most of us. It's, uh, you know, a more gradual process. However, the result is the same. I mean, reading about his background, that's a reflection of his life before God consciousness, before he had a power in his life. Um, the the pain and misery and suffering he experienced, much like my, my own, dethroned his intellect, uh, and, and he realized, uh, you know, uh, through the pain and suffering 
that there is a reality higher than his intellect. Um, and that allowed for a consciousness, a God consciousness to come in. And, you know, what the big book promises is that working the 12 steps will remove the blocks that keep us from our higher power, however we conceive that higher power. And that higher power will enter into our lives and give us sanity, will allow us to be restored. There's no promise that we'll believe in a particular God, in a specific religion at all. The only promise is that we will have sanity, that we'll feel a strength and a power that we know did not exist in us uh, before we were trying to deal with our problems on our own. So, you know, step two only requires that we be willing to try to find a higher power. That's all. Our willingness is enough to start the process of working the 12 steps. And when we work the 12 steps, we find that automatically we are guaranteed this freedom. And I just want to take the time to compare this paragraph to a paragraph on page 24, which was a reflection of before God consciousness, which goes as follows. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. That's a reflection before God consciousness, before higher power consciousness. And, of course, the, the paragraph that we're focusing on now is a reflection of freedom as a result of higher power consciousness, as a result of these 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Leah and... And good morning, Chelsea A. Um, before Chelsea, before you speak, there's a lot of background noise. Everybody can mute their lines. I'm going to clear the line, Santa and Chelsea. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, um, Santa, for your service. I'm Chelsea. I'm a recovered compulsive eater for today. So this part of the text for me is um, the cornerstone, the, um, the next building block on my foundation of willingness that will um, my structure to freedom will stand. So at this point, it doesn't really matter what I think about God. That is irrelevant because the book has assured me that our way of life has its advantages for all. But what is important is that I've come to the conclusion that I'm a compulsive eater and I can't manage my life and that no human power can restore the insanity that has come up as a result of me of the unmanageability part. And I am convinced now at this point that some kind of power, if I establish a relationship with it, can and will relieve me from the bondage that I am in with this disease. And um, on a platform of willingness, this grace, will, along with my action, because if I don't take action on the willingness fantasy, I will be able 
to cross from bridge to shore this time without falling into the chasm again of compulsive eating and starting the cycle all over again, getting stuck on the bridge freezing, standing there with head-on food traffic coming to knock me down again. So I believe that as a result of the 12 steps, my behavior will reflect what I believe. Each step has a power in it. Each step has a root power. When I take action, the principles, I will be provided with healing power. And the experiences, every time I implement the processes, every time I implement steps, every time I make a decision, accept that decision and take action on it, get a result. And the result is the power that I have connected with, and I'm conscious of it now at this point in the work, will help me get healthy thinking again. So the power of grace, willingness, and action is the orchestration that allows this agnostic, because I remain agnostic, and it has not mattered one way or another. And it doesn't come involved with my work. I don't even, nobody even needs to know that when I'm working with them. So each person's interpretation of these steps I'm learning are valid and they're life enhancing. And without prejudice, I can be an agnostic in this program. I don't have to prejudge. All I have to do is follow these directions as outlined. There's different examples for everybody. For me, if I couldn't identify with what Bill was talking about, we got the example of the Southern friend. So a day at a time, I get to live in the solution as long as I practice these uh, principles, and then I can uh, as spiritual resources to provide me the power to live sanely a day at a time. Thanks, and I pass. Shanti, I can't hear you if you're speaking. Can I turn now? Yeah. Okay, thank you. And good morning, Nessa R. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, so this paragraph talks about vicissitudes of life, and it talks about moments of temptation. And these are things that bring us discomfort. And I know for me as an addict, uh, discomfort is something I don't like. It's something that I have worked to avoid my whole entire life, and that's how I got into, into the field, you know, a solution to all this discomfort. And, you know, I guess... Part of program is managing our expectations, um, our own expectations and expectations of sponsees um, that that discomfort will disappear. The disappearance of discomfort is not one of the promises of the program. The promises um, that are scattered all throughout the book basically tell us we will have the means to deal with discomfort, um, namely the steps. Um, you know, it doesn't say that we will never have discomfort. It says, you know, uh, we'll recoil. If we're tempted, we'll recoil from it from as if, as if from a hot flame. It says uh, fear of financial security will leave us, um, you know, and all these, all, all, all the, all these other uh, promises. But we will continue to experience discomfort on and off, and we just got to deal with it in the new way that, the steps teach us not the old way of hiding from it, numbing it out with the food, 
and all these other behaviors that we used to engage in, uh, especially in step two, which is uh, where this reading um, is, uh, discomfort is still part of, part of life. You know, we read in, in Dr. Bob's story that he experienced the, uh, the mental obsession for two and a half years, you know, after he first got sober and uh, recovered, really. So um, the absence of sensation, the absence of the mental obsession, the absence of discomfort in the face of life's challenges is not one of the promises. The promise is that if we are entirely abstinent, not imperfectly abstinent or sloppily abstinent, and we work these steps, we will have the means to, uh, to sail through these discomforts, to cope with these discomforts, without having to go back into our addiction. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Nessa R. And thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. Please join us for the second hour, unrecorded hour of study, immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Chelsea H. please read A Vision for You, our book is meant to be suggestive only, please. Yes, Santa. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.